I still remember the first time you actually invited me for a drink. Yeah. And this sleaziest, terrible <laughs> <laughs> um, dart bar. <laughs> and, and, and that I was a member of, by the way. <laughs> and you... The thing that was striking that night was, as I walked in, I saw you frantically writing on this ugly notebook <laughs> that you used to carry in your pocket with that 07B pencil yep. that you had. And, uh, and then you were, you know, your blue eyes, beard... <laughs> And, and finally, the, the interesting part was to, to discuss, and I asked you right away, uh, what were you writing and, and how, uh, what was this ritual? And, and I, you flipped briefly through your notebook, and, and I started seeing that you collected coaster and all sorts kind of weird stuff <laughs> attached to your notebook. And... Um, And then I think I thought this guy is actually quite weird, <laughs> but super interesting in a way. <laughs> and I think I fall in love with you then. <laughs> and after so many years, uh, it still cracked me up the way that you say drawing. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm from Kentucky and it shows in how I say drawing. <laughs> Although that's played up a little bit for you. My name is Gianluca Cinque Palmi. You're listening to GLC Live, my podcast dedicated to business design. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur, and best-selling author. In this show, I challenge designers and creatives and entrepreneurs to unravel the complexities between business and design. In this episode, creativity and the meaningful craft of business and design with Derek Black. Mm -hmm. Ciao, Derek, and welcome. Thank you for having me, sir. It's always lovely to be with you, be around your presence. Um, you always make me uh, reflect on life and the meaning of it, and I always enjoy the, the tangents of our conversations. So Derek, typographer extraordinaire, educator, designer, a bit of a theologist as well, <laughs> theologist as well. Uh, we spent hours discussing about creativity and what what creativity uh, is and how can can be instilled so what is creativity to you wow uh that's that's big um i think it's big because definitions uh, to me you know having that little bit of theology background are one of the most important things because definitions in their element actually shape the way we think and behave and So I actually, I hate the general definition of creativity. If you, you know, look, go to a dictionary or you go to Wikipedia, which so many people, uh, you know, think is horrible and wonderful at the same time. I, I love it, by the way, because it tells us what culture says uh, things mean. And I hate it because it talks about that it's a phenomenal uh, value-oriented component. And... I feel that that definition of creativity actually does a disservice to creativity because it sets people in an immediate state of being fearful. 
And so my definition of creativity is trying to fight that over, overcoming that disability of uh, our culture's definition of creativity. And that to me, creativity is the process of using the imagination by the resampling of culture for the production of something. And Okay. That's, so, that's not easy. Say it again. Okay. So <laughs> creativity is the process of using the imagination by the resampling of culture for the production of something, anything. And I purposely stripped out meanings of value uh, in this because okay. when you like, imagine you tell a student, I don't care what you do. Just go be creative. Go create something that's completely original. It doesn't exist go create something that's a phenomenon and then go create something that has significant value. Like imagine if your boss came into your office, you know, tomorrow and says, I don't care what you do today, but you got to create something of meaningful value. That's a phenomenon. It doesn't ever exist. Like that would terrify you. Of course. And I think that when you set somebody up in an area, um, that has a rule construct of making them feel like failures, were in essence also uh, could be potentially labeling them as uncreative. And for a creative person, that's like, or someone that wants to be creative, that could be the worst tag that you get assigned is that you, you're just not creative or you're not being creative. So I always want to change it into an action. It's a process of doing. Uh, I call it the resampling of culture. And, you know, you take anything that was truly innovative over time, you take the light bulb. Um, the process of creating the light bulb was the resampling of many different of things, right? And it was finding the right medium to send electricity through to put off more light than heat. And that's that's how he developed the light bulb. It was the resampling of things, the car, you know, that was, you know, we talk about, you know, um, not that Henry Ford created it, but um, it was truly remarkable in how it's completely changed the landscapes uh, of whole societies in this, but... We already had something that carried people from one location to another. It was called a carriage. We already had the steam engine. We just combined them, and all of a sudden we have the automobile. Uh, rap music is amazingly creative, and it's resampling pre-existing things. And so I always like, try to draw a picture of three dots. And I tell my students, I was like, listen, your job isn't to come up with these dots. Your job is to reconnect these in an interesting way. Right. And so it's basically like the connect the dot game that we played as children and it removes the fear. It all of a sudden creates a playground where we can be creative. Also the, the idea, the famous experiment of connecting the nine dots and, and that's where the terminology thinking outside of the box mm -hmm. comes from. Now we, you have this three by three row and you have to connect them with, I believe four straight lines without ever moving the tip. And this is the only way to do this is to go outside and draw lines that go from one corner to all the way to the other and then coming back up and then doing the act. So that, there it comes the, the concept of uh, thinking outside of the box. Mm. And um, it's a beautiful exercise, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and the other day we were talking about design uh, and craft. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was telling you about, I was, you know, stressed, worried. I had some family stuff going on and, 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 and at one point I immersed myself into the pagination of an article and in a way it, 
it was like meditating, right? It was like meditation. So for two or three hours, I fixated on those tiny little details of justification and trying to find the right tracking and kerning and, and, and fixating on, on how the columns of this article looked. And it was almost, not almost, it was blissful, mm -hmm. right? Those two, or, two hours, they changed my mood. They changed the way that I was feeling that day. They, they transported me into another dimension, if you want. So uh, we were having a discussion about this. What's your take on it? Why, why design the way that we define the craft has this power? Well, it's a wonderful discussion. I'm glad we're re we're re uh, joining this discussion. Um, we are documenting the discussion. It, yes, <laughs> true. Um, I kind of have to walk through a, a fairly long process to get you to how I view uh, this this cross between design and craft and worship. Um, and. I typically always refer to myself as a typographer when I'm in circles, um, especially when I'm in like design circles, uh, as opposed to a graphic designer. I do this as I feel that it's the most basic form of what we are as visual communicators when we're working with typography. And it also lets people know that I take this part very seriously. Um, and it's a distinction that not all graphic designers can take. Um, I don't just apply type, but I treat it as a craft. And what I mean by that is that, uh, to me, typographers are craftsmen and that they devote more time and attention to an art that the average person deems unnecessary. And, you know, I also know that most people, even okay designers, um, probably won't notice what I do with typography, uh, <laughs> And, and, and I, I enjoy that uh, because I believe that uh, its effective application is largely ignored by the masses. Because you live by M's. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it can be leveraged by the minority to set apart and distinguish our messages, uh, whether if it's real or not, realized or not. And I, get into the, I can go into this long discussion about how impactful it is uh, with research that I did. Uh, with Toyota and specifically uh, <laughs> and Ford and how they, they branded or, or misbranded uh, the Ford Focus when it first came out by slightly altering the style of a geometric sans serif into an untrustable nature. Um, but that's too long for our conversation <laughs> here <laughs> and probably won't interest anyone to, to, to understand. We can do a, a bonus episode on... The power of typography. Wonderful. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so with this often unnoticed and thankless task, um, I really started to think, how does one sustain the drive that is required to practice this as a craft? And so to me, typography's purpose is to ultimately serve an audience by giving respect or honor to the content. Uh, in a sense, we as typographers worship or actually glorify our client or our own message in that we give the message its merited worth, which actually is the definition of to worship. Um, so again, I'm bringing back some of that theology. <laughs> the theology. Yeah. 
and you kind of <laughs> I, I can picture you with you know <laughs> the white collar black dress <laughs> i was don I, derek <laughs> don derek <laughs> and so in this worshiping uh of it we invest with more attractiveness uh, uh or importance than is merited which actually means to glorify. So in actually doing this and in, in, in pouring our time and attention to applying the right type of typographical treatments, uh, we both worship and glorify uh, the content. And, and when we worship, um, or when I do this as worship, uh, I find my joy. And it's really similar to the thoughts uh, that can be seen from the arts and crafts movement uh, William Morris said, once said, art is the expression of man's joy in work. And yeah. so, in essence, that's kind of what I'm saying is I'm worshiping and uh, by pouring into those countless hours of detail, uh, and in essence, um, you see my joy. I, I think, beside the fact that this is really beautiful, uh, I think this is the challenge, right? Many, many designers, especially young designers, don't see the process as, as part of, of the practice. You know, it, it's always about the final result, mm -hmm. the, the end result, the logo, the brochure, or, or the layout, or the website, or the UX. And, and, and I think they're missing out a lot on, on this little I mean, not only not a part of it. Actually, the the beauty of the beauty of uh, of the process itself, and um, and when it comes to creativity, I think there is a little bit of a myth, not only in the design world but also in the business world. And I've done a lot of keynotes and uh, and presentation where I ask, you know, okay, in the audience, and if, especially if it's a business related audience i ask okay who thinks he's creative and usually you you can define the corporate structure from oh that's the design team which are all raising and almost jumping off the chair on the far right side you have the accountant we are almost sinking into their chair yeah. and then you have the indecisive one in between it's like uh i'm, I'm a salesman am i creative in a way or not <laughs> So, um, going back to to the original message that you said, I I always say that creativity is the ability to combine knowledge in unique and unexpected ways. So I think I shrink your definition in more understandable terms <laughs> for the humans. Um, so, is creativity something we can teach, which is what we do, um, and and why? In in a way, going back when when you talk in in in, a, in fields that are not design related, it's becoming this unicorn. Like, oh, you are a creative you now, and this is like you are special, or you are a, a different kind of human. It's like, oh, he's a creative. Mm -hmm. No, and in a way, it's, it's scary because then you are labeling and who is creative, who's not creative. And I also believe that you know. Creativity is something that you do. Mm. It's not something that you have or not have. You know, you, you can... I'm not creative all the time. And I think that's that's the key component to, to when you're talking about creativity is to point out is that it's an action. It is an action. It's, it's not a trait. 
Um, and I think that's where we set ourselves up to, you know, to think that, oh, well, we can't be creative. I'm, I remember once a long time ago, I was on this retreat with a bunch of different people and we were asking different people if they thought they were creative and the accountant said, yes, I'm very creative. And everybody freaked out. <laughs> uh, and you know, it was, it was just in how she looked at it and what she was, was bringing to it. And she usually, uh, this particular accountant oftentimes came up with really innovative solutions to, to real challenges. And it was because she didn't see herself as, oh, well, I'm an accountant. So therefore I can't be creative. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a really important thing. Getting back to your question, absolutely, I believe that uh, creativity is something that we can, what I would say is not necessarily teach, but cultivate. Cultivate, foster. Uh, yeah, foster to help develop. And I actually have a whole lecture that attempts to convert uh, educators that creativity can be cultivated uh, in anyone. And I, I see it as a, a practiced action uh, and it's, I truly believe it's something that we have to practice doing. Uh, you mentioned in kind of the, the early meetup uh, <laughs> or the precursor to the, our conversation about this book that I carry. I have it sitting right next to me. Beautiful, by the way. <laughs> it's beautiful and it's ugly. Uh, and this is actually one of my creative practices. Um, you know, you mentioned there's coasters that I collect and write in it. And one of the things that I do is I try to not turn off my filter uh, in one particular place. And that's, that's in my journal. It's mm. just like my, no one is allowed to read my journal uh, unless if I'm able to, to hide things from them. <laughs> uh, because it's the place that I'm, I try to speak my inner dialogue to myself mm -hmm. and I try not to filter myself. And when I'm walking around in a day, I carry this with me everywhere. Um, I try to not filter the world. I try to like turn off that thing that tells you, uh, oh, stop looking at that, you know, horrible kerning on that sign. Uh, what I try to do is I try to just let my mind wander as I'm walking around and, and find interesting things. And in that, I always try to pick them up or collect them. If they're physical, like ephemeral pieces, I'll actually paste them in my book. I typically carry a little glue stick with me. Um, I think <laughs> you remember when we did that podcast with the with the two nine two plus, and we discussed about you know giving advice, and one of the advice that that we gave was you know collect evidence. Mm -hmm. you know, designers collect evidence. Which is which is weird because it's one of the few um, crafts that we do that. Why do we collect evidence? And we, I think, we have to revert to that definition of creativity that is the ability to combine knowledge in unique and expected ways. So if you if we don't research, if we don't collect this evidence, we don't build that knowledge. Absolutely, I had a, a really great mentor, uh, Robert Newman who uh, I remember on one of the first days of classes that I had uh, with him, which was, um, I think it was like methodologies or, or practices class in uh, school. And he went around the room and asked, what do you collect? And we saw that actually every designer had some type of collection that they <laughs> had. They had either still collect or they, they uh, may have collected but stopped. And so um, part of my, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing is I'm, kind of collecting my life experiences. And um, I do it because 
oftentimes we don't reflect on visual culture. We don't like look at it and say, okay, but why? Like, what's the, what are they referencing in that strategy and that thing? And so when I collect these things, I always go back and write about them. Um, and I start asking myself, why did you either engage with this or not engage with this? Like, where have you seen this before? Uh, where could you see it? And so you remember back in the days where we actually had, uh, morgues, uh, in like any illustration studio, uh, would have a, a massive collection uh, of just, you know, and of course, this was before Google. Uh, so I'm showing my age here. But I remember in university. You, you are my same age. So yes, stop it. This, so I'm showing, showing both of our ages. But I remember in university, Google didn't exist until I was well out of university. But uh, if you walk into the illustration room, uh, they just had a, a gigantic room that was just filled with binders of you know, one would just be giraffes, you know, and it'd be gir- different poses of giraffes. It would be uh, other illustration styles. And it was just this whole collection of visual culture. And you had to go back and use that uh, as references when you were drawing something, you know, um, um, you know, that didn't exist. True. And so, you know, this is, this is kind of, you know, what I'm walking around with in my back pocket. <laughs> I've been doing this since 2001. Um, is basically my um, my morgue of ideas that could influence designs True. in the future. So I actually not only keep this um, book with me always, but when I finish it halfway, I go at back and actually pick up one of my old ones and reread it. And it's funny when I do that because I'm kind of refreshing my mind. I'm, I I think I've forgotten things more things than what most people know <laughs> True. Uh, is one of the things I've learned. But also um, it brings up these other things that I consumed a long time ago, but I get to reconsume them in a completely different way because I'm no longer that person that consumed and wrote about them, you know, 10, 15, you know, plus years ago. True. So let's take a small break and um, I would like the audience to pause the podcast if you want and go on glc.live, download these worksheets. And now we're going to do a, interesting exercise with Derek about instilling creativity. This interlude is sponsored by glc.live. Please visit glc.live. That's glc.live. Or... Golf Lima, Charlie Lima, India, Victor Eco. Or good lies can live in valleys everywhere. Oh, and one more thing. Don't forget to download the worksheets for this episode. Bye. Okay, Derek, so... This exercise is called a million A's. So can you explain? Absolutely. So actually, um, I do every morning I get up and I do a daily devotional um, in my sketchbook or on the computer. I, I do this every day and this is my one area that I can guarantee that I can be creative at some point through my day. <laughs> and so oftentimes it's the only creative thing I do. And I, the only rule for me that I've set up is that I draw a letter or a couple letters. It's usually right after I've had my first um, morning coffee. And 
I, I tried to get some of my students to do this as well uh, in some of my typography classes, and they were struggling to come up with ideas. And there's, there's great tools that, out there that exist. Uh, typecooker.com will give you recipes that are kind of generated. But I find that students uh, kind of are extremely conservative when they're drawing these. <laughs> and so I had to develop a method to get them to explore. And this was kind of inspired by Jessica Hish's uh, daily drop caps mm -hmm. uh, and, and how she kind of goes about developing the process. Um, and so, although I've made these my ideas, it was originally inspired by her. And so what I give the students, this little exercise, I call this exercise a million A's, is the first step is I just give them a marker. And usually I give them like an actual, either a post-it note or I have them draw it on the marker board because that medium all of a sudden takes away the stress of making something perfect. Of course. And, but you can do this you know, on a beautiful sheet of paper as well. And I just tell them to draw the letter A, either uppercase, lowercase. They only get a minute or so to do the, each one of these exercises. And once they go that, I then ask them, okay, step two, you're going to pick someone famous. Now you're going to imagine that if they were an A, and you're going to draw that A. And so I give them again another minute or two to do this. Uh, this is usually the first one is very difficult because it's like, well, how do I draw this person as an A. Yeah, and, like Michael Jackson <laughs> as an A, right? Yes. So, and um, the next step is I have them pick someone that they either like or dislike, and they draw them as if they were an A. Because when you know someone, it becomes more difficult. Mm -hmm. uh, I find that the funnier ones are typically ones that you dislike someone <laughs> and you draw that, and it's somewhat a little easier. And then I, I, I move them a little bit further and say, okay, now pick a person and a place and draw that, uh, draw them as if they were in that place as the letter A. Okay, so it's person, place. Uh, the next step we go through is, okay, now you're going to pick, pick an emotion, you know, like fear, anger, love, joy, happiness, and draw it as a letter A. And I basically say, okay, now just keep mixing and matching those, those mm -hmm. directions. That's and you can generate a complete unique idea and you find very beautiful uh, expressions of yeah. these A's. I have a similar uh, exercise that I do. I, I call it my secret, sacred grid when, uh, when it comes to branding and I ask uh, students to, to draw 100 sketches. And usually this is terrifying in the beginning, but this is all to uh, foster this innovative thinking and also try to avoid idea fixation, I think. Mm -hmm. a lot, many of us, they, they love to fixate on one single thing and so this exercise can be used also not in typography as as a creativity tool how does that work can can we take that into other fields absolutely i mean i think you can you know do some type of similar form with this where you know in essence i'm most people don't see um letters as humans like i do <laughs> and and I, I talk about, you know, them as people. Um, but I think, you know, when I, you... I think I, I got you kissing a bee once. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I'm definitely a member of the, of the type of files. Uh, <laughs> so, um, and I think it's what we do is we, we force ourselves to look at our own medium in a way that's unexpected. You know, that we... We give ourselves another way to look at 
things with someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. And so absolutely, this is applicable across every field you could imagine. It's fantastic. Thank you, Derek. This was super inspiring. Thank so um, if we can recap this uh, conversation or, or if you want to step a little bit back on, on the exercise. And so you talked about how you can apply this. So let's, let's put, when it comes to business, because this is what I want to talk also on the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. When we talk about creativity and business, right? So I, I, I'm trying to promote this philosophy of, um, business can be designed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and, and because historically business wasn't designed, business is, um, it's just a collection of, of activities and and apply, applying creativity to business means that you can go through the same exercise. So try to avoid idea fixations, meaning that not necessarily if you do things in a certain way, that's the only way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you can open up a little bit more and you can find um, areas of, of 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 connection that you didn't expect, and and that's creativity at heart. You now finding these connections, absolutely. And I think you know your one hundred sketches component. This is uh, a great aspect of that is that not fixating on the cliche solutions. And I think in business we we so often go back to that cliche yeah. solution so readily. And in your hundred sketches component. I, I do something similar uh, with 100 sketches uh, assignment on the first logo that they, they do in one of my uh, graphic design courses. And in that, I tell them to go ahead and put down that worst cliche that you can think of, course, of first of so that you can move past it and get yeah, on. Yeah. And I think that and oftentimes we, we are afraid to move beyond the cliche solution. Yeah. And we, we have to bring creativity in this, especially with what... Uh, the challenges we're facing at uh, in the marketplace today. True. So your signature sentence was also "kill your babies." <laughs> you remember that? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, I think that's that's a vital component is that we can't get attached um, to not wanting to improve our ideas. And when you start looking at something that you've made with admiration, um, that's the point in design when I get the most fearful. Mm. Uh, because I'm starting to lose my sense of critical uh, abilities to improve that work. Yeah. And so that's, that's something I'm always trying to cultivate in the students is that don't be scared if you can't, if you, if you see errors, be scared when you can't see the errors. Um, and so oftentimes I, I'll, when I get to that point, I, I always force myself to walk away. Yeah. Uh, and that creates that mental and physical space. And I, when I come back to it, I say, okay, now look at this as if it was someone else's work. You didn't make this. And don't be afraid to just crumple it up and throw it away, although you should never throw anything away. Yeah. But don't be afraid to kill the idea. It's, it's interesting. And, and something I, one of the quotes that I, that I always uh, love to share is, only when you're there at the age of uncertainty, only there you will find true uh, creative endeavor, right? So mm-hmm. w- when you are in that cusp of, of uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable, un- 
uncomfort mm -hmm. and you are you, you don't know you don't know what's gonna happen you gonna you don't know where is this process going to take you there you have true creative expression right absolutely so Derek, help me recap in three points our discussion so number one Num number one I, you got to reshape your definition of creativity oh uh, right yeah right that's number okay. one uh, number two is you have to get yourself to the point that you find the art of making as a, a sense of joy and peace okay uh, and number three that creativity is something that you have to practice I think that kind of summarizes uh, all of our discussions. Yeah. And also creativity is something that you do. It's not something that you have or don't have. It's, it's, it's an action, mm. right? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Derek. If we want to follow you and your beautiful work, where should we find you? Well, uh, please reach me at, uh, at DMA Black on Instagram, and you can find all of my other accounts linked through there. That's wonderful. So as I said before, I believe that true creativity comes actually from constraints. No, so freedom and creativity are two very different things. And most of the time, boundaries, limits, and constraints are the true driving force behind creativity and innovation. So pushing ourselves to bend or overcome those constraints creates the foundation for true creative and innovative thinking. GLC Live is produced by Gary Moran. Special thanks to Derek Black. I am Gianluca Cinque Palmi. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. For references and links, visit glc.live.